ICA Gear has outfitted over 10,000 bow hunters across the country, and we're continuing to raise the bar when it comes to bow hunting camo. New for the 23 season, we introduce our never-before-seen panel fabric system designed to be dead quiet along with our patent-pending bow hunting collar, Osseo Gear. Features and function built for bow hunters by bow hunters. Learn more at asiogear.com. Welcome to the Bear Bow Hunter Podcast with your host, Nate Bailey and Jerry Goins, where we celebrate the ancient paths of our bear bow ancestors, where hard work and woodsmanship outweigh advanced shooting devices, where we value those who've gone before us and welcome those yet to come. Join us as we share valuable insight about the bear bow hunter's lifestyle. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Barebow Hunters Podcast. And today is kind of a special day because you guys, some of you guys have probably figured out by now that I have been building a muzzleloader. And I, uh, through this process, I've been trying to do a lot of research and I ran across a podcast called Muzzle Blast. And Ethan, you're the host of Muzzle Blast. And also you are, um, I guess you could just go ahead and tell me, Ethan, what, what you do. Hi, I'm Ethan, and I'm the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association Marketing Director. So I'm handling all of our social media and podcast and all the fun stuff. Cool. So I ran across your guys' stuff. Actually, I ran across it on uh, YouTube. You guys have a YouTube channel. You have a podcast. Yeah. And and I I was, you know, me being a bow hunter and then jumping into muzzleloading, I uh, really wanted to find somebody that, uh, an organization that kind of um, stood there for what's been going on over a long time. And you guys really do, right? Yeah, we've been around since about 1933 is when we were formally started. So for us, muzzleloading is in our blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> if you go over to your website, uh, to you guys' website, you can really see that. That's, that's the cool thing about all this is, there was a ton of history that I was pulling up and I was looking at when I went over there and, uh, me being a traditional bow hunter, I have a lot of, a lot of history that I, I look at in the traditional bow hunting world. You know, we have organizations like Compton's and PBS and these other organizations. And so when I, yeah, yeah I was just blown away that I did not know, um, about, any of this in the muzzleloading world, I felt like I was behind the eight ball and I've actually, it's kind of rekindled some of this, my pioneering spirit. So that's great. That's what we like to hear. We joke a lot that we're kind of the best kept secret in of the traditional or outdoorsman sportsman community. There's a lot of people out there that are interested in muzzleloading because of the simplicity. And we've been around forever you know, as far as modern kind of camping and outdoorsmanship goes, but not a lot of people know about it. Right. That's, that's right. where I kind of come in. That's what my position is trying to fix now. But yeah. Yeah. And you're doing a good job. I mean, idea. the stuff that you guys are putting out is quality, really good stuff. Thank you. And that's kind of the reason I wanted to get you on here is to kind of get it out in the, in the traditional outdoorsman's community, because I mean, traditional archery and muzzleloaders, 
kind of go together. There's a lot of bushcraft. There's a lot of skill. There's a lot of these things that, other than the weapon itself, we're a lot alike. I mean, you know, as far as what we value, um, we value getting close to animals. That's a, a thing that we really value. We, we enjoy that about it. We, we value um, the simplicity of everything. We value the, you know, being able to make it work and those kind of things, you know. Yeah, there's a lot that goes together with that. Even at our at our headquarters in Friendship, Indiana, we have a 40-shot 3D archery course set up just for traditional longbows. So all your stick bows or bone bows, or horn bows, I mean, excuse me, right? and that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's not as large as our traditional muzzleloading, or muzzleloading in general, right. really is there, but it's still part of what we do and especially for the guys that are real in traditional into traditional muzzleloading they're still bringing their bows and setting up camp and they'll spend a day shooting muzzleloaders and then they'll spend a day shooting archery you know so it's 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 a very close handshake between archery and muzzleloading definitely yeah yeah and especially the traditional stuff that we do you know with the i, I mean okay now i've just scratched the surface here of muzzleloading and and since i've you know, contacted you and things like that. You've probably seen that. You probably could understand <laughs> that there's yeah. not a whole lot here. I'm learning quick. It's a steep learning curve, but at the same time, the community has been just amazing. The, the muzzleloading community has been, um, you know, so inviting and, and telling me the things I'm doing wrong. You know, I, I was pouring straight out of a flask and they're like, don't ever do oh, that. No, no. <laughs> yeah. You're, you know, you're going to, end up killing yourself doing that and and they didn't do it in the way i'm used to sometimes in the past in some of the communities that i've been in um there's guys that aren't very articulate on how they help you <laughs> okay right that's an easy way of saying that i hope um and, and then in the muzzling community these guys were like hey man good stuff but you need to do this and uh this is why and and it wasn't belittling or anything like that and i found that so far in the muzzling community which is kind of a breath of fresh air for me absolutely i think that the community itself is wonderful um, there's a lot i mean you'll find people like you're talking about that are a little more gruff or don't necessarily have the patience for newcomers but everybody that's involved with muzzleloading it's so hands-on and it's so time intensive and mentally intensive that you have to you have to care about what you're doing and i think that transfers to when they come across or we come across a newcomer getting interested in it we we're hands-on with the thing that we love and then communicating that and the safety especially kind of goes right there with that is it's just a labor of love that we want to share with other people because none of us are getting any younger and right now muzzleloading for us, especially, it really started kind of in the Great Depression and then had a resurgence in the 1970s. So if you started muzzleloading in the 1970s, you know, you're not a young, you're not a young <laughs> bird anymore. You know, I spring right. chicken. And so everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people are looking at it now and saying, hey, we need to do the nice thing and put a handout for the next generation of muzzleloaders. Right. Right. And I, th I think, I think your organization is really pushing at that. I, I see it um, just in, in the content that you guys are putting out and, and what you guys are saying. 
um, it's really cool to see that generation um, reaching out to a younger generation and wanting to pass that stuff on, you know. I've yeah. seen it in the traditional bow hunting world too. You know, you got people at Compton's that are just absolutely crazy the way that they help other, other, bow, uh, you know, guys getting into traditional bow hunting. And, uh, yeah. And, and so those organizations I always like to talk about because, uh, that is really what we need. I think, I think it just sportsmen in general need that, um, more or less muzzleloading or traditional bow hunting. Um, that's something that we really need. Um, and that's one of the other things that you guys do is, is the history. So you, you're, I see, I mean, if you just go and check out your post on Instagram, man, there's just the history of what you put on there. Just there's, there's actually guns that I've looked at and I'm like, wow, where, what is that? I need to figure out more about this. And, uh, yeah. you know, I was spelling like Hawkins, H A W K I N S, <laughs> which is so <laughs> that's horrible. When I look at it now, when I look back, because that's a guy's name that came up with the rifle, you know? Yeah. And, and there's so much that history. one of the first kind of industrial empires of America. Yeah. And so when I started checking out the history of this stuff, um, I'm like, wow, you know what? Um, there's a lot of cool stuff here that, uh, you know, really could, th this next generation coming up, um, could really value. There's a lot of good stuff that you guys are putting out there and, and history's part of it. I mean, I, I'm really big into history and traditions. I've, you know, my, my family came over to Oregon before the Oregon trail was here. And so, oh, wow. yeah, they probably even used a Hawk and rifle when they, um, lived, they, they lived where the Oregon trail came to and where it split to the Barlow trail. And then they resupplied their wagon trains. That's how they made their money for years. And wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So now I'm even, so when I'm, I, I built a Hawken and I, I built, you know, a, it was a traditions. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so when I hold that, I feel like I'm maybe in kinship with my great, great grandfather. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, that kind that's of stuff. Something that's, it's really neat about muzzleloading because you don't have to go very far back in just about everybody's family history to find somebody who used a muzzleloader to get through the, their, their life. I mean, it was a necessary tool. Um, I don't remember, I was watching or, or reading, I've been going through a lot of our old magazine articles from the association, and I, I was reading that traditionally the gun was kind of the car of their day. You know, so if you were more of a nobleman, you had a nicer rifle. And if you were a farmer, you had a daily driver. It wasn't necessarily pretty, but boy, it got the job done. Right. Kind of like and a, your a pickup. gets back and you're connected to that. Yeah. And you could see that in the rifles, right? I mean, if you go back and look, oh, yeah. you could see that in some of the rifles. Um, and you could see that it's kind of like people's pickups nowadays. You, you get, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get guys that lift their pickups and they're, you know, they got all the bells and whistles. And then you got guys like me that can't afford to do that. So we just run around and what we got. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, that's what's really neat to me. For me, my grandfather, my grandfather actually shot at and won the first NMRA youth match oh, that's in cool. 1938. Oh, yeah. And so I grew up 
knowing him having been there at an early age of this association shooting. Right. But then just taking a couple skits back, you know, it, it gets even closer to that. My, my other grandfather had hunted his entire life with a, a civil war musket, just a military <laughs> issue. <laughs> with the actual civil war musket. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, an original, just, just a beater. We've got it in the safe now. You know, oh, something I'll never let go. Right. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's all he hunted with his entire life. Uh, someday I'm going to have to meet you and see that. <laughs> oh, I'd, yeah, I'd be happy to show you. Something even neater, that, that same grandfather has an unfired Civil War musket. No way. Wow. So it, it came out of a factory after or at the end of the war there and never got in anybody's hand. They found it years later in like a warehouse or something, and it got out into the auction system. And, I mean, it's just pristine. Right. Oh, and that, that's cool. That is cool. And, and so, uh, how old are you? Uh, if you don't mind me asking. I'm 26. Awesome. See, that's what so I'm super young when it comes to all of this. Right. A lot of my friends are at least 50 years older than me. <laughs> <laughs> now, now are you a competition you shooter yourself? Do you shoot competition muzzleloader? I do. I grew up shooting competition muzzleloader. My parents met at the NMLRA national matches. Uh-huh. My father and his family were competitive pistol shooters, and my mother and her family were competitive bench rests and like cross sticks buffalo shooters. Oh, wow. So I grew up shooting both of those about until college, which is just a few years ago, really. Right, right. Um, and I kind of got out of it, and now I'm getting back into it. Well, it's it. So being the spokesman, man, that that is you're kind of uh, that's cool that you're at the age that you are, because you know how to you know how to get a hold of the people that are looking into this stuff. Um, traditional bow hunting has a resurgent of younger people coming into it as well. Absolutely. And and then so you're at you're able to put the media out there and all that, but yet you have a deep. Um, experience i mean you're you got more experience in muzzle loading than you know a ton of people well than me for sure and you know i'm in i'm close to 50 now so it's cool <laughs> to see that there's somebody that's in that world speaking and uh yeah we need we need to kind of get that word out because i think there's a lot of guys um your age to my age right that um really absolutely w- would love to get into muzzle loading i mean um it, it just goes along with with the traditional bow hunting, it's the same kind of thing. I was just telling my wife today because of, you know, all the crud that we're going through with the, with the virus and things like that, that, um, if we just got powder and lead, um, I would be feeling pretty good and self-sufficient about being able to feed my family with just powders, powder and lead. I don't have to have a reloader or anything like that. Just powder and lead. (laughs) <laughs> and even I'll even take one step away and make it even easier for you. If you have a smooth bore muzzle loader that, that's a flintlock, you're good to go as long as you've got some gravel nearby. Oh yeah, that see that even takes it even further. I'd even think that route. I better get yeah. a smooth bore. That's what it sounds like. You, you know, you've got to get a smooth bore, and then you know you can start getting into some etch revolvers or pistols. But if you get if you have a nice rifle and a nice smooth bore, you're good to go. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even gravel. I didn't even think about that because boy, you could do a number on squirrels and, oh, and yeah. 
man, I'll eat squirrel all day long, and uh, especially if I'm hungry, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of one of the old campfire stories I remember hanging out at the sheets was, you know, when you get a group of people together, you, you start talking, and it gets about midnight, and you start talking about the end of the world or whatever. Right, right. And the one guy always talked about that is he always if he goes a long distance away from home he always has a flintlock smoothbore in his car <laughs> because he always figures he has ammunition oh that's awesome so, so uh <laughs> anywhere you go i mean you can use seeds i guess <laughs> mm-hmm. um so with your smoothbores uh, okay forgive my ignorance here this is going to sound really oh, no. bad but uh with the smoothbore do they make those in a pistol oh yeah Oh, see. Heather Soli is actually coming out with their flintlock howdah pistol, which I think it's out now. Probably we saw it at the shot show, but it's a double barrel smoothbore flintlock pistol. Oh, gotta have it! <laughs> you, yeah, you should. You should really look one up. We've we've got a short video about it on our YouTube. You should check out from the shot show because it was just neat. Oh, right on! They yeah, have, they I... have it in percussion, I believe, and then they have it in a modern. I believe it's. It's a double four ten, I think, but I'm not I'm not certain on that. Right. And then they're just coming out with the flintlock version of it this year. It is sweet. Wow, wow, yeah, that would be something that would be. It's not only it's not only something cool, but it has very practical use. Could you imagine the, just knowing that I have that in the back and then have some powder, man, I'm yeah. good. <laughs> you feel invincible. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I could at least feed myself. Yeah, I feel that way yeah. with my trad stuff too, my trad bows and things like that. But uh, at the same time, this is just another one of those tools that you could put into to what you do as as a bushman, as a as a uh, dare I say f- new frontiersman or or mountain man or something like that. But um, pretty cool stuff, man. I I just really enjoy that. That's good. That's what we like to hear. I think a lot of what we see as an association is there's a lot of people out there like you said, between my age and your age and going to work every day and, you know, being answering work emails on the phone and getting texts and calls all the time is really draining. Yeah. When you can go out in the woods with your longbow or your muzzleloader or even, you know, with just a pack and just go in and sit in the woods for a couple hours, that's a kind of peace that you cannot pay for or get any way else. Right. Right. And that's what I—that's what I'm big on—is trying to support that. If I don't—if you're not into muzzleloading or into, especially the competition side of things, I mean, that's when you're into competitive muzzleloading, you're kind of a, a special breed in competitive and right. a lot of other things. That's a super niche hobby to get into. But if you want to get out and get outside and just go sit in the woods for a couple hours, like. That's what everybody needs to do, I think. Yeah. <laughs> At a base level. You yeah. don't need to go sit in the woods for a while. Yeah, and there's there's really and even beyond you know, I do that as well. I, I live out in the woods, so it's pretty easy for me. I just walk out my back door and I got miles of yeah. woods. But um it, it hunting also is is like another extension of that in, in our world. Um because, you know, when you when you start providing for yourself and you see where your food comes from um that also is it's pulling you away from that world of everything around you that's pulling at you it actually makes you start to understand that how how thankful you could be 
that you, you know, that you can get a hamburger, you know, and how thankful you could be in these things. And that's, that's one of the big reasons. It's one of the main reasons I hunt is to understand where my food comes from. And I want my kids and people around me to understand where our food comes from. And at the same time, um, be that connected to nature, uh, or connected to something that is not my phone. (laughs) If that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense, but, but that, that's one of the big reasons. And, and then, you know, I took up traditional bow hunting when I was a kid, when I was about 16 years old and it, it did that, you know, we, my friends and I built tree stands and shot jackrabbits out of tree stands behind our house (laughs) (laughs) and, 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 uh, and jackrabbit's probably not the best eating rabbit, but you know, if we're going to shoot them, we ate them. So we, we, we did eat a lot of tough jackrabbit legs over the barbecue, but, um, but at the same time, there was something, there was an attachment there that, um, this stuff brings, I mean, just shooting a muzzleloader brings you to, to that attachment. You know, it's, it's like my son came up and shot with me the other day and he's, he was saying, man, dad, you're, you're more of a part of this thing it, or it's a part of you or something because, you know, the minute you shoot it, then you start getting black on your hand from, from the blowback and from the, and then you got to go clean it out. And this stuff is not, it's not just like put a cartridge in and go for it, you know, which I don't mind right. either, but, uh, oh, no, not at all. but, uh, it's, it's just, there's, I don't know, something a little bit more organic about pouring powder down a barrel, <laughs> you know? And so we, uh, we we've been doing a lot of that and I'm actually going to hunt spring bear with it this year. That was one of the big things. Yeah. I'm going to hunt spring bears. We have a, a spring bear tag here in Oregon and we have actually a overpopulation of bears. So I feel like, and last year I hunted with my traditional bow. If you ever want to go check it out, it's on our YouTube channel, but we got that. that Yeah. We got that bear within, Oh, 50 yards but that's outside of the range of a traditional bow yeah it's, it's quite it's a little ways my range for one to get close to a bear what's that <laughs> that's outside of my range of one to get close to a bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i get close to them a lot around here um but the the thing is is there's so many of them and and i sit and i've griped on podcast even about how many bears there are in oregon and what they're doing to our population and this and that and then ODFW gives you an opportunity to shoot three a year because they're trying to manage that. Right. And here I am with my traditional bow and I had opportunity on three pairs last year and I couldn't get it done because I couldn't get quite close enough to, to release an arrow ethically for right. me. Um, some people can yeah. shoot it like that, but for me, I have to get closer. And, and so I thought, well, man, um, it started getting the juices flowing. You know, I could still have that one shot, so I have that, that challenge of that one shot, but I can extend my range a little bit. And, uh, and the muzzleloader started coming into mind. And so when I started this, that was what I was going after. And I just found out so much more. I mean, I've just scratched the surface. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It it's just really exciting. I, I love hearing about people getting into muzzleloaders. I think everybody comes in at a different avenue, I guess is the only yeah. way to describe it. Everybody takes a different road in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that moved me over. And then I went to, I think it was your web or your, your guys's, uh, YouTube channel. And then I looked at some of the subscriptions that you guys have and I found Townsend on YouTube. Oh, yeah. 
So that moved me into looking at uh, following some of their stuff as far as, you know, like the long, the long hunters and those kind of things with the muzzleloaders. And they call them long hunters because of the long guns is pretty much what I gather. Well, it's, it's actually also tied into the length of time at which they would go out hunting. Oh. So traditionally, it was called a long hunt. And oh. they would be out for a year or two at a time. Okay, see... I was wrong there too, but <laughs> so, so, but what that's done is now I'm looking at the living history that that channel brings. And yeah. so this is what muzzle loading has done for me is, is brought me into, and I'm just scratching the surface. Well, like with long hunter, you know, that scratch the surface. I thought, well, they're using those old long rifles. So that must be why they've been called that, but right on. It's really exciting. We, we talked to uh, Daniel Howell of the Folkcraft Revival podcast um, a couple episodes now. And it was interesting talking to him because for me in Indiana, the long hunters are very much a part of our history. And in talking with him, I really it kind of shook it into me that as you go farther west, and it's something I never really thought about before, but the long hunters kind of disappear as we start settling the west. I mean, you're into the fur trappers and the fur traders then are kind of the rendezvous. Yeah. Yeah. That's of the late 1800s. And I didn't realize how much that had changed. Yeah. You know, that, that was the one thing is I was hoping that there was out there something that hit the 19th century, like what they did with the 18th century with Townsend, right? They're hitting right, right around that eight, the end of the 18th century. And, and because coming out here, you know, Jedediah Smith and, Kit Carson and and those guys are people that we talk about a lot. And where I grew up, I grew up around the Klamath tribe and the Modocs and the Modoc War, which was quite a bit later than muzzleloaders, but it yeah. led up to that. And um, so all that history, that living, I was hoping that there was a living history channel in the in in the 19th century. I think that would be very interesting uh, to see. It would be. I don't know of any off the top of my mind. Yeah, yeah, and that's when kind of when the Hawken rifle came into the world was that 1840-ish. I mean, the exactly. Hawken rifle that well, we have now, the, the half-stocked, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. They did, they did a couple of full-stock flint guns, the Hawken family did, but they were super early, and it, it wasn't at all the impact of their half-stock uh, percussion rifles were. Yeah, yeah, and that... I mean, the half cock or the half stock, <laughs> excuse me, the half stock percussion rifle um, is kind of what everybody thinks about now when they think muzzleloader, at least on this end of the world. Um, Definitely. And and the funny thing is, is there were so many more things leading up to that, that, that I, I had no clue. I had no clue until I started getting into this. <laughs> there's, there's so much early human tinkering with it. I mean, I think a lot of people think, Civil War in regards to muzzleloaders. Right. And and that's something that kind of frustrates me is earlier America, I think, is much more interesting because you have the the weirdness of the flintlocks and then you're that much closer then to the wheel locks and the match locks of early Europe. Right. But then when you get into the Civil War, that's when you hit that industrial era, so you don't have the county-specific differences of the different kinds of, of rifles that came out of the eastern u.s right and what 
so everything changes once we cross the Mississippi there, and I think it's super interesting. But it's a lot different. Yeah, yeah, and, and to follow that it has been for me. It's it's kind of really eye opening. That's that's why I really enjoy what you guys do is because um, you have all this there, <laughs> you know, um, all the content that you guys are putting out and all of the um, stuff that's on your website is, is really eye opening to, it was to me. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that it's working <laughs> because a lot of the people that I'm working with and talking to about this stuff have been involved with it for 50 years or more. Right. Right. And so I'm, and even myself, I'm personally biased because I grew up with it. Right. So I'm not sh- sure sometimes how close I'm getting to things that are accessible to somebody who doesn't understand anything about it. So I appreciate hearing that. I, I, I don't want you to feel like you need to stroke my ego on it, but it, it is exciting to hear that it's getting out there and it's getting to the people that need it and it's opening up doors. No, so it, much of this community, I think, for a long time has felt really closed off because it's, it's taken us a while to embrace the internet. And yeah. Townsend is really a leading force in that. I mean, they just grossed a million subscribers yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. And a million people out there aren't necessarily dressing up in their kit and going out and camping that right. weekend, but they're making it accessible for people that just want to see somebody cook something and right. they're dressed funny while they're doing it. Right, right. And and doing it like the old school ways and and going back to maybe some of the simpler things. Yeah. Um yeah, you know, I saw that in, in traditional bow hunting as well. Um, we started putting out a podcast. Way, it, was, it was when podcasts first started coming out in the traditional bow hunting world. There were a couple already out. Um, and, and then we kind of got lazy with it. We kind of got lax on it. And w- coming forward well, now, there's a lot of people that were kind of like, I don't know about that kind of stuff. But now that is, you know, that's moved traditional bow hunting. It's helped out a lot in traditional bow hunting. And, and then, of course, you got organizations like PBS that, that um, get behind it. And then you have Compton's now that's behind it. You know, they're behind all this stuff. And uh, traditional bow hunter magazine that, that is behind, you know. So the, this is in there all for one purpose is to get this stuff out there in front of people because it's important. We can't lose it, you know. And, yeah. And I see you guys doing that, too. And I, I, I think it's I, – I think you're on that that edge there you know when you first started where people are going to start coming and looking at this and going wow there's a lot going on here that i never knew anything about yeah and that's kind of where i'm at with it is it i've I've grown up in it and i've I've said that before here but there's a lot of information here just in our magazine we've been publishing a monthly magazine (laughs) for the better part each month since the late 1930s 1938-1939 so there's just stacks of information that even uh, contemporary members haven't read or even heard of. And because we have those and we have them digitized now, I'm able to go back through and share that stuff and say, hey, you know, I just found an article on, uh, it was just six simple ways to tune up your flintlock. Awesome. And to me, it just caught it caught my eye is like you know that sounds like a modern article headline yeah it's kind of catchy six simple steps but it was written in the, in the 80s <laughs> that's you awesome know? and I, I read through it and the the mechanics of it are all the same thing that you can use today right right yeah cool so 
it makes my job easy because I love what I'm doing, and there's decades of information that nobody's seen. Right, right. Uh, and you got the content there. You just got to get it out. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you get all the pictures? That's what I've got to ask because, man, there are some there is some cool stuff that you put on your Instagram. So part of that is I'm going out to events and filming and photographing as much as I can. Now, with the COVID-19 thing, it's really put a damper yeah. on that process. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, I was out at the 2020 Horn Fair with the Honorable Company of Horners. And that was just two days of powder horns, powder flasks, yeah. and horn goods, for lack of a better, and accoutrements. Um, and so in a non-virus outbreak situation, I'm going out a couple times a month to a big show with hundreds of tables of people's work that is that are displaying their craft that's their <laughs> way of continuing this tradition right right and then the the other part of it is we have a pretty large facebook group where i'm always working on encouraging people to share photos of what they're doing and uh -huh. our membership is very dedicated to seeing all of this continue forward so we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and while we host these large national matches the core of what we do is education be that traditional craft, muzzle loading, traditional archery, or the living history side of things, and pushing that forward. So our membership will do just about anything that they can do to help push this forward. Right on. And so I can't, about probably half the Instagram posts and things that I'm putting out, in the videos especially, I couldn't do those without their support of what I'm doing. Um, we posted a couple of videos this week with a couple of different muzzleloader builders that come to our national events and mm. set up and display their work. And they know things that I, I will never know about building a muzzleloader. I've got some stuff in the shop right now that I'm going to be putting some things together on a couple of videos just because people want to see muzzleloaders being put together. And I have the equipment and things to do it. Right. So I'm going to be moving forward with that initiative. But Watching me build something, you know, as a novice, as a very young person in this, pales in comparison to these guys <laughs> that have been building muzzleloaders for 30 or 40 years. Yeah. And I could not share that without their support and their dedication to seeing this move forward. Yeah. I put that kit together, and then I thought, oh, this is cool. I'm going to show people how to put a kit together, which I did. And, and it turned out really well. Yeah. It's cool. But at the oh, same time. Yeah, but at the same time, when I started researching, I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> There's guys out there building their own barrels. <laughs> yeah. And and just the craftsmanship. I mean, mine turned out really nice, and I love it. and I, It's great. And I think that's a great way to get into it. Go get a kit. Build one. Um, Absolutely. Everybody, I think, that's interested in muzzleloading should invest in a kit. Yeah or the parts to build their own. Yep, yep, because there's something you, especially, you know, you could save, well, I built this. And, and another thing is you know it now. You know a lot of parts of that of that rifle and or gun. And um, it just, the thing is, is 
But when I was doing the research and, and thinking, wow, look at, I'm a really good craftsman here. And then I start doing the research and I just was blown away. My goodness, there are some craftsmen out there. Oh, yeah. That's a whole nother area of muzzle loading. Oh, just the powder horns, like you said, like you're, I, I never realized. I never realized yeah. how amazing some of these guys are. It, it's, and then we, so one of the reasons I want to bring you on the podcast and one of the reasons I want to do this on a traditional bow hunting podcast is because a lot of that goes, you know, boyers hand down all, a lot of their craft to apprentices and, and you know, we ooh and ah over bows because it's, it's really cool. Muzzle loading the same way. And I wanted to, you know, kind of get that out there that, Hey, look guys, there is a bunch of craftsmanship and, and people that just dedicated as you are to your, with your bows, you got to check this out. It's cool. Yeah, it's a, it's. I think it's a very natural extension, and it, it weirdly kind of works with human history. Yeah, uh, I made my own longbow at the age of twelve and, and carved it out. And yeah, it's made out of hickory, and I still have it and still shoot it today. Nice. But you kind of, for me personally, it was fun starting with a longbow, and then as I got older and things got a little more complicated, I started to step into the muzzle loading. Right. And muzzleloading building. So my first muzzleloader that I put together was an old CBA Derringer kit. Oh, yeah. It's a little gambling gun. Uh-huh. You know, it was very simple to put together. But like you say, at the end of it, it's that extension of the intimacy of the traditional sportsman community, I guess. It's, yeah. For lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. So where can they find out all this stuff? Um, I usually try to keep these around 30 minutes, so we're over that oh, quite, yeah, sorry, quite a little bit. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I could talk about this stuff all day. I got to put a time limit on myself or else we'll be here for hours. <laughs> I understand. But um, so where can they find where can they find you guys' stuff and what you're doing? Um, I, I know you got a lot of avenues. Well, the, the kind of hub for everything is the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association, and that's a, a big mouthful, so we usually go by NMLRA. Excuse me. And our website is nmlra.org. And okay. there you can find our podcast, our video, our social media. On okay. Facebook, we're NMLRA. On Instagram, we go by the name of our magazine, Muzzle Blast. And um, that should, if, if I'm doing my job, that should get you interested and kind of get you in our system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's got me completely interested. Uh, although I haven't sent my money in to be a member yet, but I'm going to. I just haven't got around to it. I, I live up in the woods, so sometimes getting a check in the mail is a little bit harder. But, um, hey, that's okay. But I am, that's I'm not, uh, something I'm going to do. Well, I appreciate that. A lot of what we do, I mean, it, is dependent on the membership but a lot of what i'm trying to do in getting things out there is to show everybody that this stuff is out there whether you become a member or not i want you to be interested and everybody at the association wants you to be interested in this to go out and do it get your hands dirty and have some fun yeah yeah and it shows it shows in the stuff that you're putting out cool well thanks for coming on man we're gonna have to do this again okay 
Um, hey, I'd love to. This is great. Yeah, we'll get you back on here and and maybe go into some specific rifles or things like that that have some history behind them and talk on those terms. But I I just wanted to get people introduced to what's going on over at the muzzle loading side of the world. And, you know, some of the bow hunters, some of the traditional guys aren't going to listen to this podcast. They're going to just go, no, no. And and that's good if they, you know, no problem in that. But I know so many traditional guys that are going to be, you know, maybe I should start looking a little bit more into the, into the muzzleloading world. Um, and and they're going to, it's going to be something for them. So that's why I got you on. I sure appreciate it. Um, any Any last things you'd like to say? I think just kind of the, the standard in the muzzleloading world is just uh, keep your powder dry. There you go. All right. Thanks a bunch. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, please, if you guys like this content, go ahead and rate us on iTunes. And, uh, you know, go over, check those guys out at Muzzle Blast, I, their podcast, and check out the website. And then also check out their Instagram. All right. Until then. Thanks for joining us on another edition of Bearboat Hunters Podcast. Hey, if you like what you heard, please give us a rating down below. We like the five stars. And uh, follow us also on Instagram under Bearboat Hunters. Go to our YouTube account, Bearboat Hunter at YouTube, under the Life Outdoors heading. So that's uh, Bearboat Hunters YouTube under the Life Outdoors. Also, go and join Bearboat Hunter Group on Facebook. Thanks again for listening.